Very good. I know some of you are waving offering envelopes at me. We're going to do the offering at the end today. Okay. We're Baptists. We would never forget the offering. Just, just would not happen. Uh, it is the first Sunday in November, and I, I know that uh, you're going to be shocked to hear this, but our series is called A Grateful Heart. Uh, and for these next four Sundays, you're going to be looking at where gratitude is grounded. And we'll cover some basic scriptural concepts like being uh, grateful today for the Son of God and next week for the Word of God and, and then for the presence of God and the people of God. And so I hope you can be here for every week of the series. And I want to thank all of you for being here this morning. I know many of you invited a friend to come today. And uh, just thanks for doing that. Uh, whether your friend was able to make it or not, that was just a wonderful thing that you uh, reached out and wanted your friend to come. And we want to get started this morning in the Gospel of John, uh, right in the first chapter. And so as you turn there in your Bible or on your Bible app, uh, let me remind you that next Sunday is Harvest Sunday, and we haven't talked a whole lot about this because we were ultra-focused on our mission banquet last Sunday night. And by the way, thanks to everybody who helped in so many ways with Mission Banquet and with the mission commitments last Sunday and all the various things. Uh, but Harvest Sunday is next Sunday, and it is a lunchtime fellowship after the worship service, uh, and we want everybody to come. We're going to have a chili cook-off. Uh, we're asking everybody to bring a side and a dessert, and we need about 10 or 12 people to enter the chili-making contest. And so instead of doing a sign-up sheet, let's really quickly see if we could get enough people to hold a good contest, right? Whoa. Like, uh, okay, we don't want to overwhelm the taste testers, but like if you make a mean chili or, or a mild chili or, or an ultra-spicy chili or a chicken chili or even a vegetarian chili... Uh, whatever kind of chili you make, if you'd be willing to do it, let's get some hands and let's see how many we could get, all right? I need to know. Okay, keep them up just for a second because i got to count them. One, two, trois, quatre, cinq, six, sept, huit, neuf. Oh, yes, Miss Mai right there. I see you right in there. Eleven. That's eleven. Did I get you already? Is that 12? It's either 11 or 12. Okay, now, this is a crucial component to this. We need four people who will take one for the team and be taste, taste testers, okay? We've got one right here. We got one back here. We got a third one here, and we got a fourth one there. It may be a, we'll, we'll probably have five. We'll do five, okay? Okay. Uh, Pastor Andrew, did you kind of see that there were five? Uh, see who they all are. Now, you're going to have to watch it because a couple of these guys have a spouse who's entering the competition, and I'm not questioning the fair play at all, but I'm just saying let's keep an eye on things, okay? Uh, so that's next Sunday. It's going to be a great time. Cornbread, he says. All right, now cornbread, that could be a side, right? How many of you make like a really good cornbread? Okay, how many of you know somebody at your house that makes really good cornbread? Okay, how many of you know somebody in this room who didn't put their hand up yet who makes a good cornbread? 
Okay. All right. So, so that's next Sunday. So the key ingredients on this, obviously, chili, cornbread. And any sides and desserts are just like bonus, okay? Yeah, so that's next Sunday. That's going to be so fun. Uh, now, uh, on November 20th, we have two important things taking place. In the morning service, we have a time for baby and child dedication, okay? If you'd like your family to be a part of that, uh, please see my wife, Amy, after the service. She's going to be in the lobby, and she would help you with any questions on our baby and child dedication. And then, November 20th, in the evening at 5.30, we have a special Thanksgiving communion service, and we want you to come. It's going to be a wonderful time of worship and psalms and testimonies, and so looking forward to all of those things. All right, if you have made your way to John 1, we're going to start our reading in verse 29 today, and I'm going to read the Scripture out loud, and you can follow along silently. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, that saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water." And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. I like how verse 34 ends with such a definite proposal to us. This is the Son of God. And when we consider who Jesus really is, folks, we have more to be thankful for than we could fully imagine. And in our message this morning, I'd like for us to take a walk through the beginning of John chapter 1 to discover some important facts about Jesus, the Son of God. And in your bulletin today, we have some notes that you can follow along if you'd like. Those are also on the YouVersion app if you'd like to go there. Let's go back to verse 1, and and I just want to read it with you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we start by saying that the Son of God is the Word. The Son of God is the Word. And so Jesus... The Son of God is also called the Word, and and the text will prove that identity later in verse 14. We'll find out exactly who the Word is. Now, now the Greek word here for word is the word logos, and it it refers to a thought or a concept, uh, to the expression of, of that thought. And when referring to Jesus, it means that He contains all treasures of divine wisdom, Colossians 2.3 says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Later in Colossians 2, we find that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that we are complete in Him. And the Word is the complete essence of God. He is the earthly expression of the deity. It is through His life and His story 
that we understand God's plan for redemption. And, and so Jesus literally is the Word. But also in verse 1, we see that the Son of God was with God and is God. So he's the Word. He was with God. He was God. He is God. The, the Apostle John uh, wanted to express from the very beginning of his gospel that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a healer. He's not just a good man. He was and is God, and he always shall be God. Now, Jesus expressed his identity in a few different ways during his time on earth. Uh, in John 10, we, we read this quote from Jesus. He said, I and my Father, we sang about the Father this morning, I and my Father are one. And so Jesus declared himself equal with God. And immediately when he said that, the Jews who were there picked up stones to try to stone him to death because they understood that he was calling himself God, right? They clearly knew what he was saying. And Jesus escaped from them at that time. Uh, but later he submitted uh, as they nailed him to a wooden cross. Uh, also in John 8, Jesus famously said, before Abraham was, I am, right? He was proclaiming pre-existence. He was calling himself the same name as God used when he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush 1,500 years before. And once again, the Jews fully understood the implications of what he was saying because they took up stones to throw at him, to kill him. But Jesus hid himself. The disciples of Jesus knew the Jewish laws on blasphemy, and yet they worshiped Jesus as God on more than one occasion. Thomas saw the prints of the nails in his hands and his feet and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't correct him because Jesus is God. Really, there are only uh, three options for the identity of Jesus. Either he was a liar who tried to trick everybody about his identity, uh, or he was a lunatic who was confused about his identity, or he is the Lord God. I'll take door number three, right? Uh, he's not a liar. He's not a lunatic, and so he has to be the Lord, and he truly is the Lord God, our Savior. Now, if you go to John 1, look at verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. And so we say that the Son of God has eternally existed. Now, it is impossible for us to understand eternity. It just is. Uh, but we can trust that Jesus, who is God, is also eternal in nature. He was around before anything was ever created. And I confess to you, my brain cannot go back that far, right? I am a creature of time and space. And so my brain doesn't go back to eternity past. But my faith can go back to eternity past. The only way that I have an eternal future is if Jesus has an eternal past, how many want an eternal future with God? Amen? Then you got to believe that he has an eternal past. You have to be able to say, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. As you get older, 
uh, funny things start to happen with your brain and with your memory, with your focus. Uh, I find uh, I turned 50 this year, and some of you are like, that's just a pup, right? I, I get it. But sometimes, even now, I end up in the kitchen, and I'm not sure why I'm there, right? The other day, I got out of my car at Walmart, and I had no, no idea why I went there, right? Uh, phones and keys and important things all seem to have wings now. Like, why is my cell phone on top of the washing machine? And I ask one of the kids, have you seen my keys? Now, folks, if you ever think that your intellect is high enough for you to determine your own eternal existence, please think again. You can't even remember where your keys are. Right? And yet there are people who literally think that they're smart enough to tell where they're going to go after they die. And what's going to happen in the end of all time? And some will resolutely tell you that there is no God because they think so. Right? We're just not that smart. Okay? The smarter you are, the dumber you usually are about God. That's what God said, not me, right? Uh, He said that you could have all the knowledge in the world and you could figure all these incredible things out and yet if you don't believe that Jesus is the light of the world, you're dumber than a rock, right? Not Iraq, the country, like a rock. Um, And so Jesus is God. He is eternally existent. He will eternally exist. I desperately need him for eternal life. There's no other way but him. Now look at verse 3. This is so powerful. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now that seems like really plain English, doesn't it? All things were made by him. There weren't nothing made without him right? There's just nothing that he didn't make. So the Son of God is the creator. As God, he's the maker of all things. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And did you know that light came exploding out of the mouth of God, moving at 186,282 miles per second? That's pretty fast, right? Uh, It's curious that Psalm 33, 6 says it this way. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Did you catch that? By the word of the Lord. And now John 1 says that the Son of God is the word. It must not, you know, be a coincidence that it says that. Colossians 1 tells us that by Jesus all things were created. Now, I want to read this section in John 1 from John 1, verse 4, down through verse 9. And so if you're there in the passage, follow along with me. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, 
which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. I want to talk about this next one. The Son of God gives light to all men. The Son of God gives light to all men. When Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple, and a, a prophet named Simeon declared over him that he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. Now, 700 years before that, a, a prophet named Isaiah made a declaration from God. He said Messiah would come to earth, and he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles. And now that true light has come. The light that illuminates every heart, whether Jews or Gentiles, all men are loved and desired by God. And only Jesus can enlighten the heart for salvation. He is the light of the world. Only Jesus can remove darkness and error and pain from our hearts. And so the very one who declared, let there be light, is the light of the world. Without him, we don't have the ability to reason or to understand reason. We don't have the ability to create or to recognize something's been created. Without him, we don't have a full set of emotions to perceive what's happening in the world around us and in our relationships. His light is available for all men, even those who love darkness, even those who use their God-given intellect to reject God. And folks, if you're here this morning, <clears throat> you need to understand that Jesus has given you life, and he's given you light. That's why life is so precious. Life is the most precious thing you have because no one but God can give it to you. And whether your parents planned for you or not, God did. Jesus is shining his light into your life today because he wants you to have more than physical life. He has made a way for you to have spiritual, everlasting life. As we continue into verse 10, we see John building his case even more regarding the deity or the godhood of Christ. Look at verse number 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Now go down to verse number 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's talk about this one. The Son of God became flesh. The Son of God became flesh. Now, we already said from eternity past, the Son of God has existed. And since creation, he's been present in the world. But the world was unaware. As we read in verse 5, the darkness comprehended it not. That's why Jesus, the Son of God, volunteered to experience the most absolute humility. The creator of heaven and earth became flesh, right? He became a human and lived among us so that we could comprehend his glory, his grace, and his truth. Now, uh, any of you boys and girls ever have an ant farm? Did you ever have an ant farm? 
Uh, well, some of you boys and girls are like 35 years old. <laughs> All right. Any of you older boys and girls have an app? Did you ever have an app for them? Did you ever think, I wonder what would happen if I could talk to the ants? Right? Or did, maybe you talk to the ants. Now, the scary thing is if you thought they talked back. Right? But, uh, like, if you wanted to communicate with the ants, you could stand up there above them like, hello, ants. And they'd just, like, keep, I can't do all six legs at once. Well, it'd be really hard. Unless I do three at a time. And then, that, yeah, I, I don't think I can do that. But the ants just keep going. You're like, hey, ants, did you know that Thanksgiving is coming in just a couple weeks? The ants just keep going. How many of you ants like turkey? They just keep going. Why? Because they can't understand you. They can't comprehend you. They're ants. The only way possible for you to be able to communicate with ants is if you could make yourself become an ant. Now, how many human beings would want to become an ant? Knowing what you know. There's always some in every room, Payson, that, you know, just don't know what humans have yet, right? We don't have to run around with an army to carry a cricket back home for food for next winter, right? We can walk through the grocery store. Humans don't want to give up their humanity to become an ant. Do you know that God set aside his divinity, his supremacy to become human flesh. And in that flesh, he was 100% man and still had 100% the nature of God at the same time. The creator of heaven and earth became flesh. He became a human. He lived among us so that we could comprehend his glory, his grace, and his truth. He didn't just say words. He gave his life for me and for you. And we know that after he died, he rose again, victorious over death. And I am so grateful for the Son of God. He became flesh and lived among men. As the image of the invisible God, God in human form, Emmanuel, God with us, and without him, we have no hope. Without him, we have no life. Without him, we have no light. But with him, we can experience faith and hope and love and grace and truth. Now, let's move down to the verse we initially read at the beginning of the message, verse 29. Uh, John had been baptizing people in the Jordan River. John the Baptist had. And people who wanted to show a visible expression of repentance uh, would go to him, and he would baptize them in water as a sign of their decision. And then Jesus showed up. So look down at verse number 29. Jesus showed up, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then he said, This is he of whom I said. He's like, This is the guy I've been telling you about. He's right here. He showed up. This is the one. This is God in the flesh. This is Messiah. He's always existed, and he will always exist. 
And then he made that declaration we read in verse 34, this is the Son of God. And he pointed his disciples to say, hey, you go follow this guy now. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. But I want you to notice what he had said back in verse 29, the Son of God takes away the sin of the world. That's the next one we're looking at in your notes. The Son of God takes away the sin of the world. Now, there are plenty of people who would tell you, I'm not really a sinner, okay? Like, I've made a few mistakes in my life, but I don't like that label sinner. That's for really bad people. And I get that it may not be politically correct these days to refer to people as sinners, right? There's a whole bunch of things that apparently aren't politically correct. And if I tried to keep up with the list, that's all I would do. But Jesus never really towed the line on political correctness. In fact, in in Luke 13, Jesus reveals his take on this. And it's a powerful one. Uh, There had recently been a group of people from an area called Galilee. And the Roman governor had slaughtered a group of them. And then had taken their bodies and mingled it in with the sacrifices of the Jews. That's just a horrific thing. And Jesus said to the people, hey, do you suppose that the Galileans who got killed, that they were sinners? There's that word. He says, do you suppose the Galileans who got killed, that they were sinners above all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? And then Jesus answered his own question. He said, nay, or no, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, perish is a word that speaks about death, but it specifically speaks about eternal death. You probably have heard the most famous Bible verse before, right? For God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those who believe in Jesus will never face eternal death. But everybody faces physical death, right? Physical death is a result of sin, Uh, sin in Adam and Eve, sin in our ancestors, sin in our parents, sin in us. But Jesus had more to say in Luke 13. He brought up another current event. He said, hey, you guys remember those 18 people who just died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we remember those guys. He said, do you think that they were sinners above all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? And then he answered his own question again, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In other words, all people are sinners. That's what Jesus told us. Now, later, Paul would confirm this in his letter to the Romans when he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And look, if you don't want Jesus to take away your sins through his payment on the cross, then you have to pay for your sins yourself in what's called eternal death. Jesus called it hell. And when you put it on that level, that level, I am ready to step forward and admit, I'm not just a mistaker. I'm a sinner. I have broken God's law. 
I've told lies. I've dishonored my parents. I've lusted after things that I shouldn't. I've coveted possessions that other people have. I'm a sinner. And I'm a sinner who's eternally thankful that I have a Savior because my heart (laughs) could not be healed without the healer. And so my heart is filled with gratitude at the truth that the Lamb of God, Jesus, takes away the sins of the world. I know that I was headed toward eternal death. I was living under certain condemnation. But Jesus became sin for me, even though he had never sinned. And through his blood, I can have peace with God. I can be declared righteous through his righteousness. And you may be thinking, that all sounds really good, but how does the transaction take place? How do I get salvation? How do I become a child of God? And I want to go back now to verse number 12. John 1 and verse number 12. Look what it says here. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Let's look at this one. Anyone who receives the Son of God becomes a son or daughter of God. That wording is just so powerful, but as many as. You know what that means? It's the same word as whosoever. But as many as, anyone who does this. And I want you to know that that includes you. And so in your heart right now, answer this question. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins? Do you receive the sacrifice he made for you? Do you receive his resurrection from the dead as the hope for eternal life? Then you are a child of God. I received Jesus into my life late one Saturday night in August of 1984. I was 12 years old. Now, did my little 12-year-old self have a full understanding of the doctrinal nature of God? No. Did my little 12-year-old self understand big Bible words like justification and sanctification and redemption? Nope. I just knew that I was a sinner and I desperately needed a Savior. And salvation had nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. If you look further down at verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And I want you to see this, only the Son of God can give you the power to be accepted into God's family. There is no good work that gets you into God's family. You can't earn your way in. You can only be born into God's family. Jesus called it being born again. Once you were born physically, But being born again is being born spiritually. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, When you were born physically, how many of you remember that? You remember being born physically? Did did you do any of the work, right? How many moms would say, uh, no, they did none of the work? 
The, the power to be born didn't come from you. You were the recipient of birth, right? And it's the same way with spiritual birth. You can only be a recipient of the power of Jesus, but nobody else can receive Jesus for you. You have to believe in his name for yourself. And the moment that you do, he provides the power for you to become his child. Sometimes I hear well-meaning people say, well, I've always been a Christian. But we've proved this morning that that's impossible. You can't become a Christian until the instant you believe in his name. And that requires information, logic, and will. There are some really smart babies, right? And they've got very alert uh, senses, but none of them can understand what we talked about this morning. You have to be able to comprehend what sin is to know that you need a Savior. And maybe you've understood this morning for the first time how much you need Jesus. He's your creator. He's the light that brings life. And he wants to be your Savior. Let's bow together. Maybe you're here this morning, and as we pray, you would like to receive Jesus into your heart right now. You could say something like this, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day. I believe that only you can give me the power to be your child. And right now, I receive you under those terms. I turn from my way to yours. I want you to be my Savior. If you did that right now, there's nobody looking around. Would you just wave at God say, God, I did that this morning. I received Jesus into my heart. Praise God. Praise God. Father, I thank you for these powerful words about the Word, about Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would unite our hearts together to be grateful for the Son of God in our lives today. Well, thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like our ushers to come. And as they come this morning, we're going to receive our morning offering and tithes missions giving and you can give here in person or you can give online or you can do text to give and as they come to the front we've already prayed and, and so we're, we're just going to receive the offering uh, but as they as they make their way up would you stand and we're going to sing a final song together as the offering goes through and then Pastor Andrew will dismiss us this morning and I stand Amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned unclean we're singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song 
shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Sing the truth of the gospel. He took my sins. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Yes, he did. So we're singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall shall see it will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me we sing together singing how marvelous have a great week. You are dismissed. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.